Hey everyone, welcome to the Running Anthropologist podcast. This is episode 30 and it is the last one of 2019. Hoping to ring in and start off with a great 2020. We've invited a bunch of our veterans, favorite podcast guests to come back and share their running experience in 2019 with you, as well as their top tips and advice for the coming year. So hope you enjoy it. Let's get started. And please don't forget to visit our website, runninganthropologist.com, to hear more about and check out the links of information from all of these guests, as well as hear some more about their backstory and the runs that they've done throughout the year. So in this episode, we hope to talk about the culture of running and how it's changed and evolving. To do so, to get at that, we really have some interesting perspectives from four unique runners doing amazing things out there. To kick us off, Sanjay Rawal who's done films on running, who's also tackled the spiritual and inward-looking aspects of running, describes his experience preparing for and running his first competitive marathon in quite a long time. After that, we have Trish Trout bringing the fun back to the run and also giving us some tips about international marathons and how to get ready for those, as well as some practical advice about running the World Marathon Majors. And number three, coming in third, Jorge Garcia, None other than Jorge, who has done this fall, has done New York, Chicago, Marine Corps Marathon, and a Sydney Marathon as part of Team Michelob Ultra. And last but definitely not least is Mike Wardian. Mike Wardian has been doing amazing things, finding new ways to challenge himself and challenge the running community. He has a unique finger on the pulse of running culture, especially international events and ultra endurance events. He's going to talk to us about a new book he helped to write and contribute to, and that is The Epic Runs of the World, put out by Lonely Planet. takes you through a couple hundred runs of really unique places, and he talks about that as well as some of his favorites and why. Last but not least, Mike tells us some tips for 2020, along with all of these runners sharing what they think make them good runners and keep running fun and challenging and exciting. So we hope that you use this and bring about a great start to 2020. And thanks again. We'll talk to you at the end. And Sanjay Rawal, welcome back to the podcast. So excited to have you and also to have you as one of our frequent guests to recap your experience in 2019. Well, Mark, it's great to be on the, the phone with you. Thanks for having me again. Very welcome. I wish I could be there in person. Of course, uh, you're calling from Manhattan, where it's in full holiday swing right now. The streets are covered with shoppers trying to get a couple more uh, days in before Santa comes. <laughs> Great. Um, and obviously, you've been um, you've had a busy year, and uh, I have so much to ask you about. But I wanted to, in this brief time, ask you about some of your personal experiences. I know that you trained for a really important marathon, the California International Marathon, and that you were successful there. So, yeah, I mean, just maybe you could tell us about what it was like getting ready and um, what brought you to, to take part in, in this marathon. Well, success is all relative. Um, for, for me, 
this was the first year since my early 30s and I'm 45 now that I was able to kind of carve out you know nine months as a buildup for a, a single race and it didn't mean that I was without injuries it didn't mean that I, I didn't stop traveling and having to, to take on responsibilities but I, I signed up for the California International Marathon which is in Sacramento I signed up for it early in 2019 and set that as my year-end goal so I, the, the kind of clarity of having that goal really helped me focus my training. And I was consistent more than anything else and felt good on race day, um, felt great through 20 miles and realized afterwards that I, I was super dehydrated. But, mm. you know, despite actually, and I wouldn't recommend this to the kids at home, but despite having literally fainted with 100 feet to go from the finish line, I finished in 237. Um, but when the wheels fell off my race, they really fell off. I was hmm. just like nutritionally not happening. Huh. But as a 45 year old, I couldn't be happier with that time. I just, it was just, it's been a great year. And that race is a fantastic one. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that puts you in, into Boston, right? Yeah. So I, I, I it's a good, you know, time for 45 and up. So, um, you know, it's, it's, full on 31 minutes or 32 minutes faster than the Boston qualifying time for my age. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm going to run Boston on April 20th, 2020. That's awesome. I mean, that's a fantastic, fantastic, uh, race. And I know that's a great experience to, to be a part of it. Um, the last time that we spoke, we talked a lot about, um, your film and some of the spiritual aspects of running, and I know that you had a lot of friends and a lot of input in preparing for this um, this experience and coming back into long distance running. Um, maybe you know if you wouldn't mind sharing with us what were some of the key things that you think impacted you in in the process. You know that's a great question. I never really. I mean, I think most of us don't actually enjoy racing. Mm-hmm. It might be it might be fun. But the actual moments of exertion can they, they, they seem more like personal challenges or struggle rather than enjoyment. Hmm. But a couple of years back, I was on a prayer run through, from Flagstaff through the Navajo and Hopi Reservation to Bears Ears and Monument to, via Monument Valley. And one morning, uh, a Hopi elder named Rex Taliam Tewa, you know, he, he kind of like like pushed us on our run with the Hopi prayer, which he translated to find joy through exertion. Hmm. And that was my goal in all my training all year round was to learn how to really find sparks of joy and happiness, not, not mental like fantasy, but actually find where the happiness lies in the, in the act of exertion. And, you know, I, I think I, I locked it for myself better than I'd ever done before. And so in the race, when going got tough and I, you know, I, I was running at a much faster pace than all of my training runs. I, I had my, my fastest 10 mile split. Um, in, in, in my, my, my first 10 miles was faster than any 10 mile, 10 miler that I did all year. And my second 10 miler in the race was second fastest 10 miler that I'd done all year. So, you know, safe to say that from the minute the starting gun went out, went off, I was in that exertion. Hmm. I was in like that part of a workout where it's like, you're pushing. Um, and I knew that the only way to really lengthen my performance and stretch it as far as I possibly could 
was to really be happy and to really enjoy it. Because hmm. I, I learned lastly that when you when you enjoy that exertion, the pain disappears. Interesting. When when you say that, um, I'm tempted to say, you know, what 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 kind of experiences you know in your training would prepare you for that? But I know that nothing really does, right? Because you, you don't oh, know does, until it does, you get it there. Does. Okay. What, it, what what would you say? So you, you know, even from 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 running track and 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 for anybody who runs, you know that if you if you haven't experienced a certain like like intensity in your workouts even if it's just for a moment you can't expect to do to kind of maintain or, or hit that intensity in a in a race i mean the, the colloquial way is like if you haven't like trained at that pace you're not going to be able to run at that pace hmm. and so i i kind of like took the flip side of that and said like if i don't know how to like find a sense of balance a sense of inner peace and a real sense of joy in the hardest workouts, there's no way I'm going to find that when I really need it, when a race starts getting tough. Hmm. And so it was just a process of when I got into those moments in workouts, you know, using techniques from meditation, using techniques from practicing concentration to strip away the things that were bothering me in those moments, pushing away the pain pushing away the fear, pushing away the anxiety, and just trying to see, is there a kernel of this experience that is actually joyful? Hmm. And there was. It was it was tiny, but once I learned how to kind of find that in those moments, it was a lot easier to kind of key in on that aspect of the experience of exertion during the race. That's that's really unique. I, so if I, if I understand you correctly, kind of getting into the nitty-gritty a little bit, um, some of your personal practice of, um, you know, meditation, um, focus, concentration on your breath or, uh, or certain feelings that kind of enabled you to, to put it into that, into that run, usually solo runs, I would guess. And you practice that experience every run that you went out on. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, pro runners will say this, that, you know, when, when your body is really in, in, a, in a, a state of exertion, one of the things pro runners do is they literally try to calm themselves down. And the, the effect of that calming is reducing one's heart rate. Hmm. And when you reduce your heart rate, then it's like you're getting more out of each step and more – you're basically saving your heart muscle a, a little bit of, of the hard work um, – some of the heart muscle obviously is working because of the need for oxygen, but maybe 5% of, of your, your heart rate at that type of pace is due to anxiety. It's due to nerves. It's due to fear. Hmm. And if you can strip that away from a, from, from a pro runner's perspective, if you strip that away, you have 5% more capacity at your, at your disposal. And so the simplest thing is like, you know, anybody can practice that when your heart rate is elevated you know, during a workout, it's like trying to find ways to feel that your mind is soft. That means dissociating the anxiety, the fear, the idea of like really keying in, looking at your watch and, you know, thinking about the result is, is, is the, the main technique. It's like if you stop thinking about the result of what your effort is, is pointed at, 
that there's a, a base level of anxiety and expectation that leaves the mind. When that happens, the experience becomes a tiny bit calmer. And in that calm, you actually have a totally different perspective on what's going on. Hmm. Instead of it being like, oh my God, am I going to do it? Am I going to do it? Oh God, everything hurts. My heart's beating. There's lactic acid. All of a sudden, it's like you're separated a little bit. And in that separation, you can actually find a part of yourself that is going like, wow, running this fast feels good. Hmm. Or I shouldn't be running this fast. This is fantastic. It's like, oh my God, pat yourself on the back. There's that enthusiastic voice of positivity that's buried underneath there. And if you find ways to pull that out, then that experience in a race becomes totally different. Yeah, I would. So I don't know that perspective of pros, but I would guess, you know, if you talk to Ilya Kipchoge or, you know, Meb or, you know, someone like that, they have a similar, you know, they have to establish some kind of mind focus, um, little tricks that help them stay calm and really not get overworked by, you know, someone passing them or by not running the split that they wanted to, um, because that's, you know, that's a lot of pressure on them. I mean, that's how they earn their living. And, you know, they're shooting for big, you know, world championships or world records um, a little bit more than what you and I are shooting for. So probably even more pressure. I mean, we, we, we all, for better or for worse, we, we all put a, a pretty undue amount of pressure on ourselves. Hmm. And, you know, one thing that Kipchoge really focuses on in, 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 in his explanations of, of his approach is the idea of faith. You know, even if, if one doesn't want to think about faith in a higher power or, or, or a religious sort of faith, it's like the basic level of faith that one needs is faith in oneself. Hmm. It's like when you have faith in yourself and in your abilities, you don't have fear. When you don't have fear, you don't have anxiety. When you don't have anxiety, you can possibly you that you open up the opportunity to feel peace, to feel emotions that come out of a state of of peace, like joy, like love, like happiness, and those types of energies and emotions are really good things to feel when you're in a race because those emotions are the diametric opposite of pain. Mm. And to at least some degree, they dissipate the pain and they pull the mind away from kind of an incessant anxiety that builds up when it starts to feel pain. Yeah, they, I think in the Christian tradition, that it'd be like fruits of the spirit um, you refer to. And I know that, you know, speaking of highlights of 2019, uh, a lot of people have been watching Kipchoge, and he's a man of, of deep faith and how, um, you know, just how joyful he, he seems, even though, you know, he's pushing his human limits in every possible way, um, you know, throughout that breaking that two hour, uh, that two hour marathon. Um, that, that's a great example that you gave. Um, when would you say, Sanjay, so I know just from reading your posts and following you that you had a lot of a lot of people influences, uh, a lot of great coaches, and a lot of people that contributed particularly to, to your running, um, and that you applied that in you know your own way. Is is there anything that you would recommend to those shooting in 2020 for a for a marathon PR themselves? Something that they should uh, they should look to or resources they should spend time with. So, so I I can can 
can, can give an answer that I myself need to listen to. <laughs> that, 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 you know, I, my, my, my coach, Patty Dillon, is from, was part of the Greater Boston Track Club. You know, she, that, they come from the, the tradition of Arthur Lydiard, the famous Australian coach. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who, who basically, you know, really said, like, I can run 100 miles, I mean, 100 meters hard, but I, or fast, but, like, my, my speed dissipates the longer the race is, which is obvious. So he said, I don't need to work on speed. I need to work on endurance. And endurance means miles. Mm-hmm. And so that school, which, which led to Bill Rogers and you know, discounting like, the disgraced nature of, of his career, Alberto Salazar, um, a lot of the great runners in the 70s came out of that like slow means slow. And even Kipchoge says that when he does his slow runs, they can be as slow as nine minute and forty seconds per mile pace. Wow. And this is for this is for a guy who does four thirty seven, right? Right. As his marathon pace. <laughs> and so, I I learned too late that it's like the slow runs are when you build endurance. The mm-hmm. slow runs are when your body makes the kind of gains it needs for the marathon. And so I I I really focused a lot on post run recovery. I I went to a rolfer. I'm I'm, I'm good on nutrition. I'm good on sleep. I'm good on on you know warming up, doing all the things you need to do at 45 to 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 put in the miles. But I didn't really realize that I needed to take runs as recovery and as buildups as well. So hmm. in this next cycle, it's like my slow days are going to be way slower. And I, I mean, I would never push my slow days, but I always had this kind of anxiety around you know, not wanting to go too slow on my slow days. But now I go like, I don't even care. I realize like <laughs> the slow days are almost more important than the hard days. That's really interesting. You brought that up. I, I've just been keyed into that concept too, over this past year, the more coaches I talk to and people with experience, the more they say, Hey, LSD, long, slow distance. That's that's what you need to focus on to prevent injury and all that good stuff, which which is as as with you, I'm prone to go out and run fast and try to do too much, um, you know, too much in a race without that build up. So. I mean, interestingly enough, like my, my long runs were hard. Mm-hmm. Um, like so, I, I I I would never have like a slow twenty miler, mm. but I, I would have a lot of slow eight, nine, ten milers during the week. But my my long runs, for the most part, they were workouts. It's like you might do the first 10 miles slow, but then the last 10 miles are going to be gradually being picked up. Mm-hmm. Or I might do pickups every 10 minutes. Things or intervals kind of spar- you know, dispersed throughout the run. But my I, the, from what we're both saying, it's like slow needs to be slow, mm. yeah, whatever the workout might be. And then you have those days where you do the speed workouts, but that's not part of your long slow distance. But you know the funny thing is I I wouldn't even say I I I did any speed work this year, like for for me like coming from a track you know focus like speed work meant like four hundreds and like two hundreds and you know maybe a two four six eight ten twelve back down. Well, I I did I think four interval workouts the whole year. I did um, a ten by eight hundred. I did a five by one mile. I did an eight by one mile, and then I did a workout where I did um, one by a mile, and then three by two miles, and then one by a mile. And okay. those were those were all on the road. And so I I, I realize now it's that like that there's a, a huge misnomer 
when it comes to like the importance of doing hard, regular interval workouts. Hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I want to build in a lot more of those types of workouts, but I used to want to do one of those types of things a week. Hmm. And now I realize if I do two a month this next cycle, I'll be in, in a really good position. Hmm. Yeah, and, and extending those cycles to, like you said, to be like 14 days, you know, to do two of those instead of thinking, oh, my cycle has to be seven days, you know. Um, that's, a, that's a challenge that a lot of us have because I, I also think in terms of weeks instead of cycles. Um, but anyway, I digress. I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about 2019 and running culture because a lot of things have happened. There's been a lot of changes um, and I, you know, I know that you have your finger on the pulse of that, um, in some respects, what were some of the cool things that you saw or inspiring things that you witnessed as you connected with other runners? So I, as, 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 as you know, I, I, I live in a big city. I live in, in, in New York city, which isn't thought of as a running city. Um, but that said, it's like the father of modern day ultra marathoning, you know, mm-hmm. America's 1952 Olympic representative, Ted Corbett was from New York. Um, the first gigantic, like open to the world, you know, major marathon um, that really blossomed the running culture was in New York, and it is in New York. And in the past couple of years, there's been an, an incredible resurgence in New York and Chicago and Los Angeles of neighborhood run groups. Hmm. And the great thing is, these neighborhood run groups—they're just not fun run groups, like. They're, they're focused on like races, on marathons, on half marathons, but they are not, they're, they're, they're not snobs about people's body shape, body type, or times. It's all about like, you, you, get, you can be a part of our club if you put in as hard of an effort as the rest of us are. Hmm. And so they look for commitment, they look for dedication, and there's this real rise in urban cities of, of this sort of like neighborhood-fueled street running culture, which is great. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have a series of, of races uh, by uh, a, a, a guy named Joe Donato, uh, Orchard Street Runners. And they basically do unsanctioned races in the city. And they can be unsanctioned because they don't, they don't, they don't exceed a certain threshold of runners. Hmm. But Joe will basically say like, you know, Here's the start line. I'm not going to really tell you where the finish is until the start line. Hmm. And and then, you know, it's it's a race. It's like first person to get to the finish line wins. And it doesn't matter what route you take. Nothing matters. It's just huh. like you might have to hit a couple of waypoints along the way just to show that you're not taking some weird, like, subway shortcut. <laughs> um, but it's like that rise of people really reclaiming cities that were designed for cars and reclaiming them for human beings. It's really interesting part of running culture these days. Yeah, so that's that's so cool. And I, we've watched some things recently about how, you know, actually these cities, they were meant for pedestrians and then they were overtaken by cars and, you know, are dangerous to pedestrians. And it's nice to, it's nice to see runners and foot traffic en masse and for young people growing up in the city to, to be a part of that and see that. Um, totally. Sanjay, when you think about 2020 for yourself personally, you know, you've got the community run groups, you've got a great spiritual foundation, and obviously you've got a great running foundation. Um, What are some things that 
you set for yourself as as goals for 2020, you know, resolution, you could call it, but just anything spiritual or running or community that that you think would be a great goal um, to achieve in 2020? You know, that, that I, I, I've, I've asked my question, I've, I've asked myself that question, you know, from childhood, really. It's like everyone's got New Year's resolutions. But I've, I've realized in the past couple of years that I kind of do better without those types of resolutions. Hmm. Or I, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming from a place where I, I, I know I work hard and I, I know I'm committed to things and I know that, like, that I, I, I want to push myself. But I realized this last year that the results I might have will be far beyond my expectations if I don't think about the results. Hmm. If if I just think about the effort, I mean it's it's a it's a classic tenet from one of like Hinduism's oldest most sacred texts, the Bhagavad Gita, mm-hmm. where the the teacher Krishna is telling the warrior Arjuna, you know, on on the precipice of battle, you know, basically the the his life philosophy and the important thing, one of the important things Krishna says is, you have the right to act, but not to the fruits thereof. Hmm. So it's like you know effort you know minus expectation that's self-transcendence that that's when you it's like you you really allow an extraordinary experience to blossom in you if you don't even say like i'm going to try to run this number and achieve the limited satisfaction you might get from achieving from hitting that number you know if you just say like i'm going to run happy and i'm going to push myself I'm going to, I'm going to exert myself and I'm going to find joy in that exertion. That's when it's like the, the results will, I think, I I think are are most surprising to me. Wow. My mind blown. That's, that's such a great analogy. So minus, you know, exertion minus expectation um, equals, you know, in this case, self-transcendence, or you might say um, another way to approach it would be daily conversion or daily, um, you know, seeing that moment-to-moment success rather than some success out in the future. Um, that's that's really cool. I, I like that a lot, too. And I, you know, instinctively, of course, I also recognize that over time. You know, I'm about your age, almost, almost there. And the years that I set high expectations and don't meet them, right, it, it seems like something far in the future that's that's not achievable. But if I set a, a daily goal to, you know, express effort and joy and um you know holding myself to certain standards that's that's the way to be there and that's the way to be in the moment um yeah i I like that a lot so let me rephrase the question for you sanjay that was that was awesome i i really like that but um do you have anything you're looking forward to artistically um or athletically uh this coming year Uh, i i was so excited by by how much i enjoyed the last nine months of 2019 and the build up to the California International Marathon, the race. Um, but like right now, I'm in the aftermath uh-huh. where I, I didn't feel excessively or, or horrifically sore in the week after and started some light jogging. But I'm realizing that like my whole system on a really deep level below the muscles is just wrecked. Huh. And so in this next week, the la- we're recording this on, on December 23rd, but in, the, in this last week of 2019, I don't want to do anything. 
I don't want to think about anything. I don't want to. I don't want to think about 2020. Yeah, stuff's gonna happen. Stuff's gonna get done, and there's gonna be goals. But like, like I've been so much on overdrive um, this last year that I'm realizing that I'm gonna have a really, really good 2020 if I if I like start it with like like zero intensity uh-huh. and then let it build from January 1st. <laughs> So I'm in the same same frame of mind. Fantastic. Um, well, as as always, Sanjay, it's such a pleasure to to hear your perspective and to to just know a little bit about you know how how things are evolving for you. And super super excited to hear more in the future. Of course, I, I really really appreciate it all, Mark. Thanks for for you know being such an important member of the community and wishing everyone a happy holiday season and. Lots and lots of miles in 2020. All right. Thanks, Sanjay. Uh, Thank you, Mark. Many blessings. Peace be with you. Happy running. Thank you so much, Mark. Trish Trout, welcome back to the podcast. We're so happy to have you ring in the end of 2019 with us. Thanks for having me again. This is, this is good to be back. For sure. And we've got some great topics to talk about. But number one, of course, you spent most of your year training for and getting ready for your world marathon major in Berlin. Um, love to hear about it and what brought that about and uh, yeah, what uh, what it was like. So yeah, that that is very accurate. I spent most of the year, um, you know, focused on Berlin. Um, that was actually star number four for me so out of six um you know i was fortunate to get a lottery entry um so as soon as i got that notification my goal was and uh just tried to stay focused uh throughout the hot summer um to meet that fall marathon and plan a vacation around it so um you know i got my fourth star nobody can take it away i'm happy about that (laughs) Okay, and you correct me if I'm wrong. You have Tokyo and London left. I do, and and from what I read and and see, you know, on the internet, those are the two hardest to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, did not get into for 2020, so I will, you know, try and try again, and uh, hopefully, I'll uh, be able to to get at least one of them in in 2021. So. Fingers crossed. Lotteries are hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, someone's got to win, uh, but it's certainly better odds than a than the real lottery, anyway. Um, yeah. I so I know that you brought your whole family over and made it into a, a, a whirlwind trip of of Europe and saw a lot of cool stuff. Did a lot of cool stuff. Um, I'd like to hear about that as well, but maybe you could just start by telling us what, um, you know, what it's like to register and take part in an international marathon, what were the, the high points and, and some of the challenges. So first and foremost, if you're going to register for a lottery for, you know, overseas, make sure you have a credit card that does not have, um, you know, extra fees associated with it. Um, for foreign transactions. <laughs> That's number one. Um, and then, you know, you have to be smart about traveling, um, especially if you're going to be with a group of people. 
um, because you don't want the excitement of going to another country to overtake what the first priority is, which for me was the marathon. Hmm. So planning the trip, I had to make sure that, you know, I, I got into town early enough to adjust to the time change and not schedule touristy stuff or not too much touristy stuff before the marathon because you don't want to trash your legs because the travel itself takes a lot out of you anyway. Hmm. So that's my number one tip next to the foreign transaction free <laughs> credit okay. card. Okay, no, that's something people don't think about. You Obviously, you're going to spend a lot of money between uh, the race entry and the hotels and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Did um, Were your, in, in Berlin itself, did your family have an easy time finding places to cheer? Was it really crowded? What, what was the environment like? So they were able to see me, um, I want to say three different spots along the course um and once you get the the train map down you know you can pretty much navigate the city fairly easily and there are you know a lot of people there that are doing the same thing that you are so you can just kind of follow along um so you're you're really not going to get lost um the spectators it was it was thick with spectators so um that was very very helpful Hmm. Um, Berlin did something a little bit unique to where they wanted to recycle the water cups. <laughs> like they wanted you to put it in a specific bin. So if you okay. run a race, you know, you drink, you drop. <laughs> and so that, that kind of caused like a little traffic jams at time at times. But, um, you know, I got to give them kudos for, for being environmentally friendly, it's just really hard to do when you have 45,000 people running. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, and it's true to German culture. They, I think they're the number uh, the number one, the highest percentage of recyclers in the world per, you know, what they consume. So that that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's probably a big deal for Berlin. Right. <laughs> Um, what, what was the, uh, what was the start like and the, the organization in terms of, you know, getting what you needed to get when you arrived and the expo and all that kind of stuff? So the expo is again, a little bit different than what we're used to here in the States. Um, only the runner is able to go into the large part of the expo. Hmm. Um, you have to get a, a fabric wristband. Um, that you cannot take off until after the marathon, hmm. um, and you're the only one that's allowed in. Um, also, with Berlin, you get a timing chip for your shoe. It doesn't go on the bib because the bib is biodegradable. Hmm. But the chip, you either, when you register for the lottery, you have to decide if you want to rent the chip or if you're going to purchase the chip. And that would depend on, you know, like what line you go into at the expo to pick up your bib, um, which I wasn't really aware of. And I, I freaked out a little bit, went up to get my bib number and they're like, oh, you have to go to customer service. And I was like, what's wrong? And she's like, ma'am, I don't know what's wrong. She's like, but you're, you're flagged to go over to customer service. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I traveled all this way. What did I forget to do? And and then, you know, the nice woman said, oh, you're here to get your, your chip. We can't send it to the United States, so you have to come see us in order to get the chip. And I was like, oh, okay, blood pressure can go back down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the expo itself 
I didn't spend too much time in because it was so crowded. And I went on, uh, let's see. And I went on Friday. So that afternoon when we, we got to Berlin and it was, it was wall, wall people, Hmm. which made it a, a, a challenge in one, in one aspect, but in another aspect, I didn't, spend a lot of money so there were just too many people um but with berlin also when you register for the lottery you decide at that point if you're going to purchase the official finisher shirt (laughs) and you would get that at the expo as well it's already paid for and you just go pick up your size and and you go we don't have to stand in a long purchasing line so another little help there. Interesting. They figure if you're coming all that way, you're going to get your finisher shirt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you have to pay for it. It's not like the other races where it, it's, it comes with, you know, the registration. It's an additional chart. Okay. Interesting. And what did you think of the race organization? Was it, was it well laid out? Did you have enough space for running? Um, yeah, because, you know, I'm a slower, so, you do get pretty spread out. One thing I really liked about the layout of like the starting area is because I was in the last corral, um, we were kind of off to the side and it was very, very quiet. So I'm walking through all the corrals getting to the start and it, there's music playing and it's loud and, you know, people are having a good old time. And then there was a sign for Corral H and I, I turned, it was like a left turn and I walked like through the, this path through the woods. And then you just saw all of the people in, in that final corral and it was quiet. It was peaceful. It would have the big screen so you could see what was going on, but it was just it's like you you made you know two steps and and everything was calm interesting so you should really shoot for the last corral it makes it a little (laughs) bit more peaceful that day what do you mind my asking what is the uh what is the last corral um you know projected time for for runners in that corral it was uh 21 over i want to say four hours, 15 minutes. Okay. And you went over 4.15, which is actually still pretty fast. That's, that's pretty good. (laughs) Yep. Good. Well, that's, that's a good tip. Um, if I'm, if I ever make it into Berlin again, then that's, that's the way to do it. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Um, what in, in terms of the, uh, the race itself, did you find, uh, throughout the race, was there uh, consistent water stops and music and all, all the things you would expect? Yeah. I mean, there, there were some, some bands. Um, one, one thing that they do in Berlin that was a little different than over here was we, you know, we have cowbells. They were blowing whistles. Hmm. So, you know, it was just a completely different sound, um, which was, you know, at first it was startling because um, it, it sounded like, you know, someone was directing traffic. Um, but, you know, it sometimes the water stop got a little crowded. Um, you know, there were times when, uh, you know, there would be four, five and six runners, you know, going across the road and you really couldn't get by. But for the most part, it was it was a normal, you know, crowded marathon experience. Hmm. 
Hmm. And what, um, in terms of the places that you go along the run, you, you see some of the major sites of Berlin through the Brandenburg Gate, through the, the Tierpark, um, anything that you found especially, especially cool? Well, it was, it was neat because I actually ran with a friend of mine who runs Team Freedom every year, and she had gone on a, a tour of Berlin the day before. Oh, wow. Okay. And so as we're running the course, she she's basically telling me what everything was, which was, it was good to, to distract me, but it was also you know, a little bit more meaningful. And then the next day after the marathon, while we were doing our sightseeing, I was like, oh yeah, I saw that yesterday. And this is the hotel that she stayed in. And oh, there's the spy museum where we were going to go anyway. And, you know, so that was, that was really cool. Um, but the course is, itself, it, you know, it is, I want to say, an easy course compared to New York or Boston. Okay. Um, it actually reminded me a lot of Chicago. Okay, in terms of the flatness and straightness mm-hmm. and just the layout. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, that's that's a selling point for sure. I, I, I spoke with a few of the marathon major race directors, and I know they have kudos for being the fastest and trying to get it the most, you know, the best experience for the fastest runners. Um, yes. and hopefully they'll, uh, you know, Berlin will have some more record times. <laughs> we were all hoping, you know, as we were running and, you know, we're, you know, people are seeing, you know, friends along the course and like, did the record get broken? And I was like, no, no. <laughs> so we were, we were hopeful. It, it was not a particularly perfect day, right? It was, the weather was a little bit off. The temperature was perfect, but it was rainy and very windy at times. Um, it, yeah, the the temperature was great, and you know the fact that the sun wasn't beating down on us that was good. But I could have done without the rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you can't have it all, right? <laughs> A little bit no. of clouds and rain. <laughs> Not this year. <laughs> Um, so Trish, I, I know you've been, uh, doing a lot online for team freedom and also for loud runners, um, and your theme for the end of the year going into 2020 as a new year's resolution is to make the run fun again. Do you want to, uh, tell me a little bit about that? So it, it, it basically came about, um, as I was, you know, so focused on Berlin this year. Um, so many runners, you know, you have your goal rate, which is fine, but you're so focused on it that you forget how fun the sport is. So, um, I, I took the attitude, especially training through the hot, humid summer. You know, I wasn't going to be negative about it. I wasn't going to complain about it. I was going to make fun of it. So my poor coach would get messages from me like, oh, I cleaned all my pores today because it was 99% humidity and a dew point of 90. (laughs) You know, know, we're going to have the cleanest pores in, you know, in all of Florida because we sweat so much. And, you know, that helped me get through the training. And so as I look to, to 2020, you know, I don't have any major goal for, for 2020, but I want it to be fun. If that means running through puddles, I'm going to run through puddles. My shoes will survive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, if that means running, you know, a, a different with a different group, or you know, reaching out to someone who I haven't run with for a while, then I'm going to do that because it's going to be fun. 
you know, if, if it's, if it means running at night, uh, you know, for, you know, for one night instead of early in the morning, I'm going to do that because it's going to mix it up. It's going to be a different experience and, hmm. and running is fun. That's why we do it. And I just think that we lose touch of that um, when we get so focused on what our goal is. Yeah, well, you definitely know about that from, uh, you know, from your experience getting ready for Berlin and being obviously very committed to it. Um, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think there's a lot of people who can go out um, like Jorge Garcia, who uh, mm-hmm. is on this podcast as well, who does a marathon, a half marathon every month. And that way it's not as much stress on one event. Um, and I, I think he has fun doing that also. Um, and I have fun watching his adventures. I mean, <laughs> it's been real. <laughs> um, yeah, me too. And I, you know, there's some there's some uh, limit, of course, to financially and time wise how many races I can travel to. But I can always mm-hmm. keep it fun um, right. with a local training and a local local group. That's that's for sure. Um, so, how about besides events and keeping it fun? Um, Uh goals in 2020, any, uh, any advice for us, any running goals? Um, I really, I I want to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to be a healthy runner. (laughs) Um, when I came back from Berlin, I was, I was a little beat up and, and I've been, I I haven't been a hundred percent since I came back, no major injuries or anything like that, but you know, my body needed a break and, I, I want to take care of that. And I think that, you know, when you're training for long distances, you do have that, that training cycle where you're ramping up, you, you peak, you run your race and you have to take time to recover. And for, you know, that recovery period is different for everyone. And, you know, I want to, I I want to focus on staying healthy while I'm running, um, I am doing Team Freedom again this year. So Gasparilla, end of February. Um, it's never a goal rate of mine, time-wise, um, because of why we're out there. Sure. So that's you know, it's a it's a different attitude towards towards that race. The longer I'm out there, actually, the better because I can mm. talk more and more about why we're out there. Um, and then after that, you know, it's it's almost you know the same as as. 2019 is running through the summer. How am I going to stay healthy? How am I going to keep it fun? Um, you know, I potentially have a race in Ireland in August. Well, that's something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, the race went on sale and it was reasonable. So a group of us, you know, registered for it. But, you know, if I don't go, I don't go. I'm not going to, you know, be too upset about it. But, you know, if I'm feeling well, running well then you know i'll go over in august and and run a half marathon so my you know being being able to have fun while i'm running and staying healthy that's my goal for 2020 (laughs) all right i think i think that should be all of our goals and uh i have um you know we've talked before i have a i have a goal race but mostly the same to be fun and enjoy and i'll be there with you uh supporting team freedom at gasparilla so um look forward to that Yes, it's going to be a good year. All right, Trish. Well, thanks for being part of the Running Anthropologist podcast this past year, and thanks for all of your advice and insight about Berlin and your goal of World Marathon Majors. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, and happy running. Thank you. 
And hey, welcome back to the podcast, Jorge Garcia. Hey, Mark. Nice to be back. Appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. Definitely. So I couldn't have a 2019 recap without without inviting you on because you've had a pretty epic year and you have a lot to share. So thanks thanks for joining us. We're uh, we're excited to hear about it. Oh, thanks, Mark. Appreciate that. And it has been a hectic but busy and fun year. You know, staying active and um, visiting a lot of new places. So it's been it's been pretty um, pretty cool. Yeah, could you, um, you know, before we dive into a couple individual races, you know, world marathon majors, I'd love to hear, a, you know, a quick recap of, of all, all the places you've been and, and what you've done in 2019. Oh, well, Mark, you put me on the spot there, yeah, but let me see if I can remember off the top of my head here. You know, we started out the year um, on my quest to run the marathon in every continent. So this year we went out to um, Antarctica and ran the King George uh, Marathon. Actually, they call it the White Continent Marathon, and we ran that on King George Island. Huh. Um, while we were in Antarctica, we actually ran the um, Punta Arenas Marathon in Chile. So we got to cross off another continent there. Wow. And, um, and it was cold up there. And then while we were there on our way back, we stopped in – we stopped in Peru and to Cusco and then out to visit Machu Picchu. Mm-hmm. Uh, no running there, but we did a lot of climbing. <laughs> uh, and then from there, if I, let me see, it was Antarctica, uh, Chile. Uh, oh, we ended up going to your neck of the woods. We went to Fort Lauderdale and ran the um, A1A Marathon, get some sun uh, get some sun out there. So that was a lot of fun. And that was actually marathon number 99. And then in um in April, we ran the Boston Marathon to celebrate my 100th all-time marathon. That was really so that special. Was Did you plan it out that way so that Boston would be your 100th? Yes and no. A uh, good friend of mine, she was celebrating marathon number 100 while she was at Boston and asked me where what my count was. I started doing the count and realized that I, was, I would have been at 99, so we did add Florida to ensure that Boston was number 100. Huh. Very cool. Um, uh, huh. Yeah, so I, I ran in April, and then from there, I decided that I was going to take some time off from running some marathons just so I could concentrate more on training, try to get some of my speed back. So I took the next three months off from actually running marathons and got a hold of my coach, and we started training for the um, uh, the Sydney Marathon in September. And uh, thankfully, training went well, and I was able to do well in Sydney, and I qualified for Boston, securing my spot for next year. And okay. as luck would have it, um, my qualifying time secured me a Boston qualifying time for 2020 and 2021 because I happened to qualify on the last possible day of the registration window. Huh. So that was, that, that was kind of ironic. I didn't know that was possible. So that was kind of neat. And then from Sydney, we ran the Chicago Marathon in which I got to pace with the Nike team. And... Um, there was another race that, oh, after after that, we ran the half marathon local race here in St. Louis, along with my daughter, my 16-year-old daughter. Oh, that's and then great. from there, I got to see you in D.C. for the Marine Corps Marathon. That that's was pretty right. cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, as a Marine myself, you know, that's one of my favorite races. And then I kept, the, kept it off with a trip to New York for the New York City Marathon, which I got to run for the first time ever. Yeah, so, yeah. How, was, how did that go? I'd, I'd love to hear more about your impressions uh, first time in New York. Mark, uh, it, it was 
perhaps one of the best times I've ever had, at least in a long time. I always say the, the Congress Marathon in um, Durban in South Africa is my favorite race, but New York, maybe because I'm from that area, as you know, um, it, it felt like I was running in my backyard. Hmm. Everything looked familiar, but it was one of the greatest experiences I've had. Um, but, but like I said, you know, I've been fortunate to run in all the 50 states, nearly all the continents now. And uh, But what, what a lot of my friends don't know is that I actually never ran the New York City Marathon. Um, I remember I my first marathon was in 2006, and I remember ever since I've been trying to run the New York City Marathon, so I tried the, the lottery process, uh -huh. and uh, I tried the lottery process for many years, and unfortunately never got in. Um, years later, I saw a lot of my friends gain entry to the marathon, so I actually went to New York and watched them run the marathon, and that only increased my desire to run the marathon. I, um, let me see, I, I continue applying for the lottery, I'm still no luck, and then in 2016, I actually tried to qualify for New York by running a half marathon, and uh, for my age, I needed a 125 half marathon, and um, as hard as I trained, I came up 20, 25 seconds short. Oh, no. So, um, yeah, I ended up with a 125.24, and after that, I, I kind of gave up. And, and then, uh, but as luck would have it, last year, I learned about the New York City Marathon virtual option. Yes, I heard about that I as well. Yeah, I didn't know the virtual option existed. Uh, um, apparently, the New York City Marathon folks, they partner with Strava to give a uh, a limited number of runners the opportunity to run the, the virtual marathon and um, those that completed the virtual option i guess they were allotted but i guess they had to run the virtual marathon within the allotted time in the four-day window and if they did they secured a bid for the following year okay. well of course by the time i by the time i learned about that it was too late for me so this year you know i i talked my wife into seeing if we could join the virtual option so that we could secure a bid for 2020 so for next year, and that's exactly what we did. We paid the entry, and we were one of the, I believe, 500 that got selected for the virtual option, and we were on our way. Huh. And um, and little did I know, a, a month later, Mikko Pocho would come and offer me a bid for this year's marathon. So I did not have to wait till 2020 and did not have to run the virtual marathon. Okay, like all right. <laughs> Either way, you made it. <laughs> yeah, so I finally made it, you know, and it was really nice of them to step in. They literally rolled out uh, the red carpet for us and gave me the opportunity to run, you know, what I like to think of uh, 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 opportunity of a lifetime, you know, with uh, it was actually with Team Ultra. And, but I will say that um, I still ended up following my wife on a bicycle for 26.2 miles while she ran the virtual marathon herself because we're going back next year to watch her run that's awesome so, well that's but, great but, were you um yeah, but as far, go ahead yeah, go ahead as, I was a, say, as, as you know uh, as part of the um for me it was a big deal because as you know mark you know and talking with you, you know, i was born in north new jersey and uh, i spent a lot of time in the new york area as a kid and um in fact i still have a lot of fond memories of running in central park and climbing what they call the um uh, they, what do they call the, those rocks? The Rat Rocks? Okay, they, yeah, they yeah, in Central Park. Park. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I still remember doing that and thinking, man, it'd be so cool to run here. But I, I used to watch so many people run at, in Central Park, and I thought that this is something I wanted to do. But the race itself, I uh, like I said, I've been to New York before. I've seen people run the race, so I know that it's known for the five bridges. Uh, you run through the um, New York's five boroughs. 
Um, you run through um, Brooklyn's Fourth Avenue, um, the excitement of Fifth Avenue in Manhattan was pretty cool. You run in the Bronx for maybe a mile or two, and then you come back into Manhattan um, on Fifth Avenue before you make that right on 59th Street and back into Central Park. So for me, it was very emotional hmm. uh, running through all those five boroughs. But uh, uh, we started in Staten Island, and... Um, I don't know much about Staten Island, but as soon as we crossed over the Verrazano Bridge into Queens, it brought back so many memories because I knew I wasn't that far from Coney Island, mm -hmm. where I used to hang out when I was a kid and thinking about the hot dog eating contest <laughs> and, and, and the Nathan hot dogs and just being on the boardwalk there. So that was really neat. It brought back so many memories. And I will tell you, Mark, that you know, running in New York, even though the streets, uh, the, the stores are different, and maybe the um, uh, the the people around there are different. Everything has changed. What what hasn't changed is the energy of the city, the the streets themselves. So I felt like I was back there, especially when I ran through Queens and when I ran through um, I'm sorry Brooklyn and when I ran through Queens, it felt like I was back there as a little kid. But this time I was running with a whole bunch of other people. So it it was just really nice. That's um, so cool. What I is it? That, uh, what yeah. is what is that like as as part of a as part of a team? Uh, how is that different than just being a regular runner? I think running as a team actually helped me a lot to really enjoy this marathon because I wasn't running for time. I was running through Queens, and I was running with Team um, Michelobotra. And by that point, you know, in Queens, you 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 run nearly, I would say maybe, a good eight to nine miles. And, and by that point, our team had thinned out just a little bit. So I was actually running with the uh, another training group the, out of California called the Wahoo Training Folks. And uh, so we were running together. So it gave me the opportunity to really take it all in, to high-five everybody that I could, all the volunteers, and just enjoy the experience of running in my hometown. Um, I, I was not so focused on running for time or cut, cutting the tangents or uh, focus on my form or, you know, I, I just think that when you run for time, you miss out a lot from the uh, the joy of running and you miss mm -hmm. out from all the spectators and everybody who's there to cheer you on. So I think that running with a team really enhanced my experience and to take it all in and to embrace it and to feel the energy. It was just, it was just amazing. <laughs> uh, so uh, Michael Labocha really came out for us and really made sure that we were done uh, we were like the main event for them. I mean, they dressed us up in their uniforms. They, we had Michael Bocher's shirts. They had our had our names on our shirts, and everybody knew that we were part of a team. They dressed us up from uh, from head to toe, and they, like I say, they really rolled out the red carpet for us and really made us feel like elites out there. So it, it, it was a great experience running with the team. That's awesome. Did did you have any? Um, a lot of people say in New York you're very crowded at the beginning. Did you have any issues not being able to? get out or run your pace or just, you know, feel like you had room to run? You know, that's a good question because New York is very crowded. They have about approximately, I believe, 45,000 runners. Okay. And uh, because I started with uh, the Michelob Ultra team, we started in, um, in the Orange Corral, which basically was more of a um, four to four and a half hour pace, uh, four, four and a half hour pace. So there were... Uh, there was really no open area to kind of take off. Once you started there, you know, you pretty much ran at that pace and, and, and there was not much zigzagging to do because it was crowded left, right, in front and behind you. So I did find myself in a lot of situations where I couldn't run my pace, 
But again, I was running with the team, with um, team members, so I was running at their pace, so I actually enjoyed it. But I did hear that a lot, that uh, if you don't secure a, a, a good corral at the beginning, you will be backed up a lot or slowed down by a lot of the runners. Because hmm. it is it's very crowded. And then the, spec, the spectators got to love them. You know, they're loud and, and they're yelling your name and they're really close to us. And uh, it just seems like it's a lot more um, compact as you're running through these streets. So um, I, I did feel like I was kind of um, in the middle of all the masses and I had to just stay stay at their pace. Sure. You better make um, sure you get in with your correct time, <laughs> your correct corral. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you really do. Yeah. And the, but, um, you know, I, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I'm sure it was the exact opposite feeling um, in the Antarctica and Chile marathons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember in antarctica there you know i think that the most it was maybe 50 runners and we had the whole trail and uh, pretty pretty much the whole king george island to ourselves and at that point you run at your own pace but it was a different kind of running in antarctica because of the cold and the uh, the temperatures the windshield and it was pretty hilly and there's a lot of rocks uh, but then we ran in um Two days later, we ran the marathon in Chile, and it was nearly 70 to 80, 80 degrees huh. temperature Fahrenheit, and uh, we had the bike trail to ourselves, so it was nice and smooth. So definitely different terrains, you know, and, and I was able to run uh, or walk. You know, there's a lot of walkers, including myself, that we, uh, we go at our own pace without rubbing elbows with anybody else. Sure, and you're, but, uh, you're a winter runner. I mean, you're, you're from up north. Are you... Um... In the in the off season here, are you indoor training on treadmills, or do you just throw on clothes and, and go outside anyway? Well, I would like to say that I run outdoors no matter what, but I will be lying when I say that because my <laughs> coach is always trying to get me out there to run, and um, he says as long as there's no black guys, we should be able to run. He likes to say that there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad um, bad gear. Uh-huh. Well. I tend to disagree with that because um, even though I was born and raised in the East Coast, you know, I always tell people I don't live outside, you know, I live indoors and I got heat. But um, I'm, I'm a, somewhat of a whiz sometimes when it comes out to, uh, to train in the winter. Uh, don't get me wrong, I do get out there and I give it my best, but I'm not, when, like right now in St. Louis, uh, we had a lot of snow yesterday. I was out there shoveling my driveway three times last night and we still have snow here. So yeah, we, I've been running at the gym on treadmills and um, I do enjoy the treadmill like many people but there's nothing better than running outdoors and 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 and, um, and taking it all in and and, and, and and like my coach likes to say you know you um, you got to prepare for any conditions out there and I understand that running on the treadmill you know it takes a lot of that away mm-hmm. but um, I do enjoy the treadmill but at the same time if it's out there and, and it's not ice then you could find you you'll probably see me outside running and lest I forget, Jorge, because I often forget, <laughs> um, I'd like to know about your goals for 2020 and, um, yeah, what you see happening. Well, yeah, Mark, I'm extremely excited about 2020. Um, I think the opportunities that it brings are exciting. Uh, for me, on deck is the Carlsbad Marathon in California on January 19th, so right around the corner. All right. And it's the, um, the Carlsbad Marathon. I'm going to use that as my kickoff for my marathon training for the Tokyo Marathon in March 1st, which will complete my goal of running at least one marathon in all seven continents. So my number one goal would be to complete the seven continents. Nice. And I'm looking forward to that. Tokyo will be a, um, a big one. Yeah, it would be. You know, and it also crosses another major 
for me. So it'll leave me with um, London. Nice. Yeah, I'll be interviewing um, the the Tokyo race director here also in January. So that'll be a good tie-in for us. Oh, good. Yes. Awesome. Okay. It'll be my first time running in uh, in Asia. So I'm really looking forward to whether it's a 5K or marathon. So I'm really looking forward to heading back to Tokyo because I actually look, used to live in Okinawa. Oh. And I went to Tokyo a couple of times, but not to run. <laughs> yeah, when you um, were in the service, I, I, I take I, it. Yeah, I yeah. would say also that you know, like this um, late this year, I started or late 2019, I started running with the Achilles International Organization, and I was given the opportunity to be a guide for a blind runner. And as as the uh, weeks been going by, I've been um, approached and asked if um, there's a possibility that maybe I could pay some at the St. Louis Marathon on March 29th in hopes that he qualifies for Boston. So I'm actually having a a great time guiding a blind runner, and I'm learning so much about the Aquilas International Organization. Hmm. So that's a goal of mine is to um, lead a blind runner to a Boston qualifying time. Very cool. Um, I'm also, um, I have a goal of mine. I mentioned the St. Louis uh, Marathon. Well, on March 29th, we also had the St. Louis Half Marathon, and I'm currently training um, high school kids with the goal of completing the actual mar- uh, half marathon. So um, basically, we're trying to get the kids to be to live healthy and active lives, and and, um, and in the process, get them up to their training mileage to complete the half marathon. And I'm doing that through my running, uh, my local community running store here. Jen Schaller is the owner there, and she invited me to help out. So I'm very, very happy about that. It's very exciting to work with kids. Wow, that's a great program. What What is the name of the program, or does it have one? Yeah, it's, it's called... Uh, um, Oh, the program itself is called um, Students on the Run. Okay, neat. Well, yeah. we'll have to post a link to that. That sounds really neat. Um, yeah, it is really great. Um, something else I would like to do this um, uh, in 2020 is uh, I, I want to get back to pacing even more marathons, including the Chicago Marathon, which is a major marathon, one of the six majors. And um, obviously, like any other marathon in which I get to pace, not only do I enjoy it much more, but I also get to help others achieve their goals, especially if they're trying to run their first marathon or trying to qualify for Boston. It's really neat to be part of their journey as well. So I'm looking forward to pacing some marathons in 2020. And I know one of those is Chicago because I, I want to be there with you. Um, yes. Uh, that'll be a, a fun one to do pacing for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's a fast one. And it's, as you know, as you can imagine, it's just a huge race out there. So it's a lot of fun. And um, it'll be my um, ninth time running the marathon, but only my second time pacing. So I'm okay. really looking forward to doing that again. Neat. Really cool. Um, so those are some really great goals, especially as you know we featured you in the giving back episode. A lot of opportunity to give back in the running community. Um, you just mentioned a few of those, guiding someone or pacing. Um, what What's some advice you know going into 2020 that you would offer friends, you know, local runners, international runners, just anyone who, you know, would like to start off on the right foot uh, from what you've learned and uh, being a part of the running community. Yeah, you know, I, I'm always learning myself, but I would say as far as running advice, I believe it's, to, it's best to run for the joy of running and find your, your reason for wanting to run and then going out there, lacing them up, hit the pavement and run for your own reason, for your own um, solitude. Um, 
don't try to be better than somebody, you know, just again, just run for yourself, find reasons, what makes you happy and go for that. You know, running fast and being competitive is fine. Um, I think we all like to push our limits, but not necessarily, it's not necessarily the reason I enjoy running. For me, it's really the camaraderie, the laughs, the stories, the people with me, kind of like, you know, running brought me to you, you know, I got to meet you, but it's the adventures that we share as well that matter the most to me. So I'll say again, find your own reason to run, go after your own goals, and never forget to have fun doing it. That's awesome, man. Thanks, thanks for that, and uh, thanks, thanks for for mentioning. Uh, definitely me, meeting you and all the wonderful people out there is a big part of me running too. So I appreciate that. Of course, you know, it's the journey, it's the people we meet that makes it really worth doing. All right, Jorge. Well, best best wishes and. Uh, Good luck starting off the new year with a couple of marathons. And until next time, happy running. Well, same to you, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, bro. Thanks again for coming on. Bye-bye. Sure. Bye. And Mike Wardian, welcome back to the podcast. We're so excited to have you on to talk about 2019 and what's coming up for 2020. Oh, man. Thanks very much. It's a real pleasure to be here. Definitely. So I want to start off, Mike, by asking you about this awesome book, um, the Epic Runs, uh, put out by Lonely Planet, Epic Runs of the World. And um, I know that you put some, some of your heart and soul into it by telling about some of your favorite runs around the world, um, kind of a, a co-author or contributing to it. Um, can you tell us about how that happened and what the book's all about? Yeah, I mean, I think it was actually, it's one of my favorite projects I've worked on. Um, we were kind of joking offline of like I, I've worked on a couple of things and, and this is definitely one of the, the, the highlights. Um, but this is basically some of the most epic runs, uh, of the entire world that are collated by, you know, kind of professionals or, um, you know, highly active people in, in the endurance space. And, uh, I was tasked with, um, giving some, thoughts on the marathon to Saab, which is like one of my favorite races around the world. I've done it, uh, multiple times, uh, finishing like in on the podium actually. And like, you know, just kind of going from, it was my first kind of international race to like, you know, going back as a professional, you know, many years later and, um, and just kind of what that feels like and, you know, why it's one of the epic, um, experiences to have and then the other one was the north pole marathon which is kind of the almost complete opposite of <laughs> um of the uh run across the sahara desert you know for those of you uh in the audience that don't know marathon to Saab is like a seven day uh six days six days of running seven days total uh self-supported uh, carrying all your food gear, um, with the exclusion of water. That's the only thing that's provided over the seven days is water. And so you kind of have to make do with what you've got, uh, that you're carrying on your back. And then you sleep in communal tents with, uh, up to like eight, I think eight or nine people, um, uh, and just kind of roughing it for a week. And then, um, the other run I worked on was, as I mentioned, the North pole marathon. And, and that one's a little bit different where it's, you know, about 50 people, you're kind of limited to the capacity of the tents uh, that are at a place called Camp Borneo, which is like a Russian base that's a temporary ice station set up at the North Pole. And you're kind of running around guarded by uh, a couple of Russian guys with guns as you uh, run a marathon. So, 
um, you know, kind of really different experiences, um, but um, definitely epic in, in some of the things that, uh, you know, make make life interesting and, and kind of get you out there and, and push you to your limits. Yeah, and they, so correct me if I'm wrong, but they have like the big ones that they cover, but then each author also adds like three to six of their favorite runs that are similar to those. So it's more like a couple hundred epic runs that, that you guys have in the book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's actually one of my favorite parts is like you have these kind of like really iconic races, but then there's like, hey, if you'd like this, it's kind of like when you're looking at you know your social media and you're like, hey, if you want to follow this person, you might actually want to follow this person too. <laughs> they they do something that's just as cool or uh, as cool in a different uh, lane or something. So yeah, the the book kind of tries to have that same appeal as like, hey, maybe you've already done Marathon to Sob, but if you haven't, maybe you should check out you know these other things. Or if you haven't, if you've done the North Pole Marathon, you know maybe you want to be in the Seven Continents Club or something. And you huh. know they're there's that 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 avenue too i i have to say that for non-ultra people this is also a great 2020 vision uh kind of book because it's got i mean it's got runs like five mile runs around portland and uh you know like a 10 mile loop you can do in the czech republic um it's not just um the big marathons but also gives you tips of when you're traveling like where you can find that that perfect run or like the most famous run in that area so I, I think that's really neat too about the book yeah i think that's cool it's like i saw like there's a trail that runs a, across Liechtenstein. um huh. and that i don't even know if it made the book but it was just like one of those things where like you can do it in a single day you know it's like 50 miles or something but you can run the entire country um so i was like oh that would be really fun to do if i'm ever like Maybe I can get a layover there and then, uh, you know, do it as I'm going somewhere else. Or if, if I actually find myself in, in that part of the world, then, you know, I can take advantage of it. Right. And that was the other thing that it had some really practical, almost like a how-to book of, you know, how to get there, where you could stay, what time of year to go. So that, I really, really liked the layout. It was, it was a neat book. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of thought that went into that. Um, you know, there they're experts at what they do. So like being able to partner with like such a well-respected and that was actually like the first like travel guide I got when I started traveling, you know, pretty seriously, you know, not like just doing what your parents told you, but like when you're (laughs) making your own decisions and like we just had a lonely planet and it was kind of our Bible as we like did the backpack trip around Europe, you know, in college. And then um, my wife and I (laughs) have been, disciples of uh of the lonely planet books um you know through through our entire you know uh marriage and and we still use it to this day so like just to to have the chance to you know work with somebody um that you've kind of respected and seen from afar and to see how much thought and process goes into it um was really special that's awesome well from a cultural perspective i i think there's a lot of unique cultural runs in there i'm everywhere across the globe so i i really like that part you know being an anthropology and um travel and language buff so i think that's really cool um so you know moving on from that uh mike i know that a lot of these runs in this book you have done and a lot you know you have yet to do i'm sure after reading new ones um but what were the ones in 2019 that that really hit home with you and you thought this is a really unique race that i i want to tell people about um, that I did? Uh, yeah, um, personally. Yeah, 
that I did personally, you're saying? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think um, there, well, there was a couple. I mean, uh, the I did the World Marathon Challenge, which is seven marathons on seven continents in seven consecutive days. I think that one is um, really captures the imagination and just like the uh, audacity of it. Like, I think that's for me, which is really special and cool about it. And, you know, just like, it's a lot of volume. It's, you know, almost 185 miles. And then, uh, you're, you know, add in travel and trying to stay healthy and all the things that go, uh, into a stage race. And then, you know, just making sure you have your documents and customs and, and all that kind of stuff. And that I, uh, for me is really special. And then, you know, the, the group aspect of it, just watching people like kind of step out, uh, side of what they know and, and trying to, you know, explore if, if they're able to do it, I think is, is really powerful. Mm. Uh, and then I did, uh, what's known as a fastest known time or an FKT, uh, on the Israeli national trail. And for me, that was really special. I mean, that's a part of the world that I didn't know a lot about. And I kind of take a lot of joy and, uh, the opportunity to get to explore different cultures, foods and people and, uh, landscapes. And, and for me, that was, um, you know, kind of a pinnacle of everything I've worked towards, you know, over 20 plus years in running. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, pushing yourself every single day, 10 days in a row, you know, running 60 to 75 miles a day, um, with navigating, you know, flooded rivers and mud and hailstorms and rainstorms and hot and cold and, um, just trying to figure out how to keep going forward every single day. And that was beautiful, but like just the run itself, like just to run in that much history and culture. And, you know, on one side you see like the West bank and, uh, and Syria and the Golan Heights and like places I'd only ever heard about in, um, in the news and, and never thought I'd ever be in that position. Um, what was for me just, super cool and just to see like the interaction between the different cultures in such a really um small country but also like just really diverse country um Mm. so for me that was special and it kind of led we were talking about this a little bit earlier but it led me to like my my big goal for 2020 is to kind of explore my own country uh the united states on a on a deeper level and to do that i want to you know kind of run across the country next year so that's that's hopefully going to be super special Neat. There, yeah, there, I totally agree with you, Mike. There are so many corners of our country that um, that I haven't seen. And I think probably, you know, that slow pace moving, not not just flying to big cities or driving between big cities, for, but actually seeing it across the country will be a really cool experience. Um, do, do you have a route picked out yet? Uh, I think I'm going to put myself kind of on the, the, the world record route, which um, for people that don't know, and I didn't really know until I started researching it, seems like it's San Francisco City Hall to New York City Hall. Okay. Um, and then you kind of go um, through California, Arizona, um, California, no, I'm sorry, California, Nevada, Colorado, and kind of straight across. Um, and then you kind of end up going through like West Virginia, Pennsylvania, uh, New York, uh, and kind of finish that way and then in the middle you get some of the cool states you know like kansas and iowa and places like that where it'd be really really i i think like the whole thing's going to be special but i'm looking forward to you know every single day and 
the record right now is around 42 days. And I think like, that's a pretty stout time. That's like 70 or more miles a day. And I'm not sure I can kind of handle that volume, but you know, I'd like to put myself on that track and see what happens. Cool. Now, um, when you're setting out to do something like that, Mike, is are the seasons important? Like when you choose to run, it has to be a, a factor. Yeah, I mean, I, it's really important. I think uh, when you choose to run in which direction, you know, I'll probably go um, starting in San Francisco and ending in New York. Um, it's supposedly a little bit better with the the way the weather patterns work. Um, and then as far as like the time of year, unfortunately, I think I might end up running in the heat of the summer just because that's what works for my schedule and timing. Um but if not, it, yeah, a lot of times people want to run, you know, March, April before it gets too hot. But when you can still get over the mountains uh, and then if you're going later in the year, a lot of people end up going in September. Like the record was set September, I think, 12th through October 24 or something like that. So, you know, like that kind of year where it doesn't like I was talking to a guy, Pete um, Kostelnik, who has the record and he was saying like, he just wanted to make sure it wasn't hotter than like 70 degrees. Huh. Um, but, you know, he said no matter what time of year, you're going to get bad weather. So, I mean, it's just part of the, you know, if you're out, out running outside for that many days in a row, there's going to be tough days and you just got to kind of get through it and, and then, you know, keep moving forward. And, you know, that's something that, you know, I might not be able to do the volume, but, you know, I, I definitely can keep moving forward. That's awesome. Well, I, that's a great 2020 goal. Um, one, one of the purposes of the podcast, as you know, is to kind of explore some of the things happening in running culture. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Mike, because you've, to be honest, more than anyone else I've spoken to, have been to and competed in the most races uh, across the world this past year. Well, what are some things that surprised you or that you found really interesting uh, happening in, in the running world? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think, uh, for me, I, one of the big things I was like, I did a couple events with Spartan trail, um, and just to see more people, uh, wanting to bring, um, even more events and, uh, events that aren't of the ultra capacity to the trails. Like they were doing 10 K's and half marathons. And, and I think that that's a great way to get more people interested in, um, exposure to the trail scene. And I'm super for that. I think, uh, the more people we can have having those experiences, the more people that'll care about the trails and the more people that'll want to protect, um, where we run and what we do. Um, and so I think for me, that was kind of cool to see, like that people are focusing more on these events. Uh, <clears throat> but then I also saw a lot of guys and girls that were setting like ridiculously awesome, um, personal bests and, and, uh, events that are just kind of timed and, or just, um, resiliency type events, you know, <laughs> where you're, uh, like I have my friend Maggie Guterall won the Biggs backyard ultra, which is, you just have to run. I say that like kind of jokingly, like you just have to run four miles or a little more than four miles in an hour. Uh, but it's just, you keep going until everyone quits basically. So it's like a last man standing or last woman in this case, cause she's awesome and just kicks ass. Huh. Um, so, and you know, she're, you're running, like, I think she ran over 250 miles or something. So like, um, you're out there for, you know, days upon days and, you know, lacking sleep and 
trying to figure out how to uh, get nutrition in and take care of blisters or uh, chafing or all that kind of stuff. But you only have an hour to start again and then you got to finish within the hour. So like, uh, it's like one of those things where it seems really easy until you do it. And then it's, um, you know, and it probably is easy for a little while and then it gets really, really hard, really, really fast. Interesting. Uh, So they have an hour break every, every time after every hour, basically. No, there's no break. Oh, there's no break. Okay. Got it. So every hour you have to be on the starting line. Uh, so if you finish in, you know, 25 minutes, you get a 35 minute break. If you finish in 55 minutes, you get a five minute break, but then uh, you have to show up again. Now I so, understand. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you can finish as fast as you want, but you still have to show up in the next hour. So, um, <laughs> and you can take as long as you want. So it's one of those things where it's really, um, you know, it comes down to, yeah, you got to be fit, but it's more about like you have to keep wanting to show up and keep stepping up to the line until you either decide that you can't or you get too tired that you don't remember to go to the line or uh, something happens and you can't get yourself sorted out before the time comes. And I think that's kind of a cool thing because, you know, not everyone's super fast, but, you know, there's some people that, um, you know, are really, really strong and it kind of evens the playing field and, um, allows everyone to have the chance to complete. That's awesome. And similarly in the Spartan type races, you have a lot of people who may be going through personal bests or maybe just finding a unique challenge that no one's thought of before. Right. Right. And, and I think also it's just like people kind of getting comfortable, uh, being uncomfortable and doing something that like they're not good at. For me, like I did a couple Spartan races last year and I definitely did some of the most burpees out of anyone out there. Like just, I didn't have the, the upper body strength to complete some of the obstacles and, or coordination or like, uh, the muscle endurance. Like I was fine for a couple. And then by, you know, five into 30 obstacles, my, my arms were just fried, you know? So it's like one of those things where it was just, it was just fun to like go out there and, you know, put yourself in an uncomfortable position and, and see how you do. And then, you know, what you can do to improve and get stronger and better and faster and, uh, and just try to complete more. And so that, that for me was really fun too, is like, you know, putting yourself in difficult situations and seeing how they go. That's cool. And I think that's perhaps how the running community will remember this decade kind of advancing is just more and more creative <laughs> races and more and more runners in those races that pop up. Um, right and but then you know i also was inspired by like all the people that are qualifying for the olympic trials like just to mm. see like how many people i think this might be a record amount of uh u.s athletes we have qualified for the trials and like seeing people running such incredible performances like i think that's great for the sport and like also like i've been doing you know i did some like stuff with like uh, younger kids and seeing my kids that are uh, Pierce, our 13 year old, and we have an 11 year old Grant kind of finding a little bit of form in running and just kind of having that be part of their lives and seeing what that looks like for the younger um, athletes is, has been uh, a neat idea for me and, and something that I've really enjoyed. That's awesome. My, my daughter will not be able to recognize the Olympic trials very well. She's just turning one in a, this coming week, but, um, yeah. but, but we'll be there nonetheless. We're, we're doing a family vacation to Atlanta, so look forward to that. Oh, cool. Uh, um, and, you know, seeing those young stars and, you know, people that are 
as as you say, just now coming into that Olympic qualifying time, it'll be neat to neat to see them and neat neat to uh, see the young people that are out there. Um, and in terms of the uh, the you know your hopes for the next year running across the co- country in 2020, um, is there do you have any kind of personal vision or personal running uh, you know? Um, mantras that you'll take into 2020, maybe something that you've learned in the past decade that uh, you think might help others that are starting on this path? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a couple of things, and there's some other uh, uh, things that, you know, I think one of the things I also noticed, in, um, especially as I've uh, seen the decade progress, is just more and more people doing events for charity, like, hmm. uh, and that's something that I've been working on, like, I've been partnering with, like, I did an event with St. Jude and also with World Vision, and I'm hoping that they're going to be part of um, my run across the country. But I think for me, like sometimes it's um, if you have somebody else to uh, race for or a cause or an organization that can help push you further than you ever could by yourself or group. Um, So, you know, when I did the World Vision event, we did the Hood to Coast Relay and like having like 10 or 11 other teammates where you're, you know, you're all working together to try to, you know, get to the finish line the quickest. Like, I think that was for me really powerful. And mm. um, also like just seeing the rise of things like November project, like just how cool it is to have like uh, a tribe that you're a part of, like, yes. just like having accountability with friends and um, everybody kind of striving for their best selves. Like, for me, that's something that's going to, you know, really resonate from this uh, decade is like how people are, are able to find niches. And with social media being so impactful now, like it's really easy to kind of share. And even virtually, like I did some stuff for the New York City Roadrunners where I did, you know, a virtual run uh, of the New York City Marathon in Hong Kong. And huh. I probably had like 20 people come out and run with me because um, they saw it on social media and I had some friends in Hong Kong that kind of organized it and um, so cool. but I didn't I didn't yeah. know these people before I got there and uh, we connected because you know they're they're you know following what I do on online and and then now I can follow them and like you have this whole world that you can tap into and use to help power you through things and I mean you even see that with like companies like Peloton but like I, for me, I mean, I, I'm just seeing how much Strava has exploded. You know, people would like be so secretive with their workouts when I first started. <laughs> now, if you want, you can see what everyone does every second of the day. You know, if you follow Instagram stories or go on someone's Strava, you can see exactly what their workout is. And I think it's so cool to just have that much uh, information out there. If you want to, you know, kind of geek out and sort through it all, like it's, it's pretty powerful. Like knowledge is, i you know, really powerful and you can use that to, uh, better yourselves. And hopefully, you know, I'm, I've noticed for me, like I'm sharing a lot of content with my, um, personal trainer, this guy named Jesse Fuller. And like, I can't tell you how many people say like, Oh man, that's so cool that you share your workout so that, you know, maybe I can't afford, uh, to, to do a, uh, you know, a one-on-one training, but you know, I can, you know, use these for some ideas of how I can help, you know, get a little bit fitter and, uh, more resilient, more pliable. Yeah, running has somewhat become a, even if you're out running solitaire, it's become a communal thing, and it's such a neat, I agree, it's such a neat thing to, to witness. The The other thing, I did connect with the November Project when I was in D.C. and saw some of their 
run runs that they do. And I think that's that's a really neat project. Uh, I hope more and more, uh, you know, pop up like that across across the country. Um, yeah, it's great, man. It's so cool that they, you know, it's free. I mean, like, it's like, I, I definitely think like the ability to, you know, have people that are willing to wake up early and, and get after it. Um, there's something to that, you know, and, and it makes everybody better. Awesome. Well, that's a, that's a great, a great note to, to finish up the interview. I think on Mike, I, I know that you have um, you have a lot of great things coming up uh, in 2020, and I appreciate um, a fellow Spartan out there doing great things in the in the world, in addition to the running world. So, uh, as Thanks, always, man. yeah, no problem. Um, and good luck with the uh, with the big goal of running across the country. We'll be following you and uh, look forward to talking to you about it. All right, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Definitely, and uh, happy happy New Year and happy running. Thanks, man. Yep. And thanks to all of you for listening. It's been a great year, and I've been super lucky to have my wife constantly supporting me as co-producer on this podcast. I want to thank her especially, and thank all of you for being part of the podcast. Please subscribe to us, share, share with friends and family. If you find something interesting, please share it with us on Facebook, social media, Instagram. You're welcome to send us a message. And until 2020, wishing you and yours Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year.